My name is Chris Watkins. Uh, my family, Tammy, and my four daughters, uh, we've been in Beijing since 2005, so this is our 10th year in China. Uh, it's a, we've been primarily with uh, CCC during that whole time, and it has been a huge part of our lives and, and our family's life. So it's, uh, again, as always, an honor to be here to hopefully to, to bring uh, God's Word uh, to you this morning. I want to start off in, in prayer. And Father, we uh, thank you for the passage that was read uh, this morning and that it would be central to all that we uh, meditate on during uh, this time over the next 30 minutes, that we've been crucified with Christ and we no longer live. The life we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God. Uh, by faith, we believe that to be true. And we thank you as we go into this time of worship into your word and pray that each one of our hearts would be moved and drawn closer to you. In Jesus' name. First John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and it's lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, but forfeit his soul? Matthew chapter 6, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And then verse 33 of Matthew 6 says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. In Titus chapter 2, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and the worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking forward to the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today we're going to be talking about uh, something that is very rarely ever discussed in church, believe it or not, and that's heaven. I've had three kind of events in my life that have impacted my perception of heaven and uh, what eternal life is all about. Uh, the first one, these aren't necessarily in any order, but these are the three that impacted me. First one is uh, in 2004, I awoke to a phone call at six in the morning, 5.45 in the morning, um, and I woke to a jolt. And anytime you get a call that early in the morning, you usually know it's probably not a good thing. So I run downstairs. Didn't get to the phone, saw the answer machine, pressed it, and there was a message from my best friend's wife. I quickly called her back, and she proceeded to tell me that my friend died. Tammy was at their house at 12, until 12 o'clock the night before, so he died sometime between 12 o'clock a.m. and 6 o'clock in the morning. That moment, when you're in your mid-30s, you don't expect to get those phone calls. Maybe your parents but certainly not a friend, certainly not a sibling. So that struck me. It hit me powerfully, hit our whole community very powerfully. Another thing that impacted me in my view of heaven was uh, I came across uh, an audio of a drama set on 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 10 through 15. I think perhaps uh, one of the major parachurch organizations in America had put this together and had actually presented this at some of their conferences. 
but I got to listen to it. And I remember walking along the street and listening to this, and basically it was a depiction of what's known as the judgment seat of Christ. For those of you who don't know about this, um, this is where, as believers, we go and stand before God and give an account for our life. And in this drama, it was depicting all the believers in a great, massive auditorium, too big to describe because of the number of people that were present. And in that auditorium, people were coming before God, before Jesus Christ, and giving an account for their life. So John Wesley, the Apostle Paul, D.L. Moody, Watchman Nee, these saints that we've read about throughout history, they're describing what God says to them as they come before him in his judgment seat. And I was absolutely captivated and blown away because I had never heard of any of this stuff. Everything I'd read about was about salvation through the forgiveness of sins. And then, okay, go live a good moral life after that. But very rarely was anything ever discussed about what it is I'm living for, what is beyond this life into the eternal. And then the third thing that impacted me in this was one night, one of the greatest theologians in the history of time made a quote in the movie Gladiator. His name is Russell Crowe. And he said in that movie, as he's sitting on his horse, getting ready to take his men into battle, he says, men, what we do here on earth echoes for eternity. And man, that just sends shivers up my spine as a man. Although I'd probably be the guy hiding in the back with, uh, behind the shield, behind Russell Crowe as he went into the battle and seeking to not get slaughtered, as many of those guys did. But those are three significant things that impacted me and my desire to want to know more about the eternal, to want to know more about what happens after this life, but also, even more importantly, what do I do in this life in light of that? So we're going to journey through that today. Now, there's one major roadblock in that process that we want to address first before we jump into the beautiful depths of what we can know about heaven. By, by the way, as you get older, you have this whole thing of trying to go back and forth between you. It's driving me crazy. So I can't see any of you, but I can see my paper, so. So I can't see if you're sleeping, so go ahead and feel free. So in 1 John chapter 2, we just read the passage. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. So I'm going to quickly just give a couple thoughts on this. So what is the world? Well, the world, as it's described in the Bible, both the Old and New Testament, one part of the world is the universe and the earth itself, the physical reality of what we see. The second part is the people and things that inhabit, and particularly the earth. And then the third, and the one that we probably don't think as much about, is the system that operates the world. So the world system, which is the one that we are most confused by, I think. So when it says, do not love the world, my question is, why do I love the world so much? And I would submit to you that the part that loves the world is what the Bible refers to as the flesh. Now, the Bible describes man in different ways. He describes you as having a body, a physical body. He describes you as having a soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions, which also can be described in many cases as your flesh when it's not under control of the Holy Spirit. And then a man has a spirit. You're born with your spirit dead. God, if you're a Christian, God has touched you. You've responded to that grace. Your spirit becomes alive. You now have the ability to live not by the flesh, but live by the spirit. So every person has those three components to them. So when I think about this thing of not loving the world, it's impossible for me not to love the world. 
in the flesh because my flesh loves it. It gets all its significance, all its security, all its satisfaction from it. The evil one has created such a magnificent system, he knows how to feed every one of our insecurities. He knows how to draw us into the world system, whether it be through education and our pursuit of education, whether it be commerce, our pursuit of wealth, politics, our pursuit of power, uh, vanity, our pursuit of looks. All these things are the, is the system of the world that everything you see and experience throughout the day is seeking to draw you into that system and away from an eternal hope. No amount of trying harder is ever going to release me from that. It's impossible. That hope, that thing is too powerful. I'm not going to try harder to be a better Christian and get away from it. Only through the grace of God, as Galatians chapter 5 talks about it, why would I seek to try to remove myself from the world and get away from it through my own effort? It will not happen. Only through the grace of God and a separation of my soul and my spirit will be able to allow that to happen. So I would say to you, it's impossible to not love the world. But it is possible by the spirit of God to not love it. Many people in an attempt to try to get away from the world retreat to a monastery where they figure if I can just go work for a Christian organization, I can get away from the world. And any of you that have done that know that, oh my gosh, the world's there too. Shocking. That's just amazing. <laughs> it's crazy, guys. We, don't, we shouldn't fool ourselves to think we can get away from it. The world is present. The evil one has lost, but he's still present and seeking to control. Now, I would submit to you that there's two parts to this process of being able to overcome the world. First of all, we need to understand who we are and my identity in Christ, which I've talked about in some of my previous talks, which Rick talks about uh, you know, every single week that he gets up here and all the other brothers that have been preaching will discuss the fact that if my identity is in Christ, I have the potential to not abide in the world, I can abide in Christ. So if I receive the gift of grace from God, if I believe the blood of Christ covers my sins and I now have the Holy Spirit deposited in me, I have an opportunity to not love the world. But I would submit to you there's two parts to it. So let's assume for the moment that I've got the Holy Spirit present, that I am a child of the King. If I don't understand what my heavenly hope is, I'm still going to be very quickly drawn back to what the world says is what I should be hoping in. My business success, my relationships, uh, my friendships, uh, all the things I would seek to get power from, my identity, anything I would pursue because I want purpose. We're made for purpose. God has designed us that way. We don't need to apologize for it. What he's saying is, understand what I tell you purpose is, understand what heaven is about and what you should be living for, and it'll radically transform everything that you do in this life. So what's the problem? Why do we not want to live for the eternal? Why do we not want to live for heaven? Well, there's a quote by a guy named David Lloyd George. You may not know who he is, but... I think most of us sitting in this room at some point or another could actually probably say the same quote. When I was a boy, the thought of heaven used to frighten me more than the thought of hell. I pictured heaven as a place where time would be perpetual Sundays with Chris Watkins blah, blah, blahing from the front, with perpetual services from which there would be no escape. I mean, I remember sitting there, you know, in church on Sundays and just counting the seconds to get out of there. And luckily I went to a church that the guy who had a world, would set world's record for 18 minute masses. It was incredible. He could get us in and out so fast, it was amazing. And I was so grateful for that, because I was bored stiff. And I would submit to you that every one of us here 
has had that feeling either this morning or at some point in our walk with God. The problem is, inside the body of Christ, we don't talk about heaven. We talk about getting out of hell and getting our insurance policy, but we don't talk about what is our eternal hope. And when I say we don't talk, I'm saying the preponderance of what we hear in the teaching, the books, and the, the, the preaching that you hear and see globally, very little is on heaven. Very little. There's a couple reasons for that. There's something called Christoplatonianism. Platonianism. I can't even say it, so whoever's translating, I'm sorry, don't worry about it. Basically, that's the idea that, that the, throughout uh, history, particularly from around a little bit before the time of Christ through today, there's been the idea that the material world is bad and the spiritual world is good. And so the idea of heaven being a physical place, us having physical bodies in heaven, and that there's something being physical about the next life has a, a feeling of dirtiness and something that should not be. So this philosophy runs through much of Christianity over the last 2,000 years and has led us away from understanding the true eternal hope that we can have about the physical reality of what we're going to talk about heaven being. There's also theological neglect in our seminaries. Usually by the time you get to heaven in the, in the seminary process, there's just like this little end cap at the end of all the teaching on eschatology. Eschatology is the teaching of the end times. And there's all these fights and debates about you know, premillennial, amillennial, and all these different theological terms that in the end, heaven gets forgotten about and what we should be living for. It's very, very common. Also, Satan has done an incredible job of embedding naturalism into our cultures and trying to explain everything away as natural, not spiritual. That you can explain all the different things that go on in the world by science and by nature. You don't need anything spiritual. So he's done an effective job to eliminate the need for us to even be talking about this and even as Christians not even want to engage in the conversation. But every single one of us has a longing inside of us. You woke up this morning with a longing in your heart for something. Now, you may have been longing for an easier life, uh, to get into the right university, to get a promotion this week, to get back to the U.S. for a vacation, to get to Australia for vacation, wherever it is you're going. Whatever it is you woke up longing for this morning, mine was I woke up longing to go to the beach and surf. So everyone woke up with some longing within you. You know, that's not unnatural. Everybody has it because God put that there to begin with. He wants us longing for something. He just wants to be for the, what he says we should be longing for. When we think about why is it important to even imagine or think about what heaven is, just think about the next big trip, the biggest trip you've ever gone on in your life. And think about the time that you spent in preparation for that trip. Or when you were getting ready to move to China. Or if you were going from China to the US. You spent a lot of time and energy trying to figure out what it was gonna be like. You were imagining what traffic would be like. You're imagining what your home would be like. You're imagining what the temperatures would be like. You're imagining everything you can about what it's gonna be like, the people you're gonna meet, the friends you're gonna, you're gonna create, all these things you're imagining. So why would we expect the most important destination that every one of us has to be any different? We should be thinking about it every day. Not forcing myself, but because we can't wait. We have this longing within us already. We don't need to force ourselves to think about it. It's already present. It's about replacing what the world says we should be thinking about with what the Lord has provided our hope, our biblical hope, in the scriptures. 
Now, when we look forward to the idea of hope, hope is always future. Hope is an expectation for good. Hope is what we perceive as gain for ourselves, and hope determines the object of our faith. The Bible describes four different hopes. It describes the blessed hope of Titus, which is the glorious returning of Jesus Christ to the earth. The second coming. Again, something else we never talk about is the second coming of Christ. In the, New Te- in the early New Testament, read those guys, they're expecting him to come any day. They thought he was going to go and come back immediately within their lifetime. They never would have expected 2,000 years to go by. So the blessed hope. The, ble- the hope of rewards, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 10 through 15, which I talked about in that drama. There is a process by which God says what you do on this life matters for eternity. And there is a hope for reward. We hope that God is in control. We hope that God is in control of this craziness that we see around us. We absolutely, desperately hope for that. And we hope that we will know and see God. As 1 John tells us, that when we see him, we'll know him and be like him. From Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the garden, God created perfection. But he also allowed us to have autonomy. From chapter 3 through Revelation 20 is the present stage we're in right now, which is in the, the state of the earth us being present in this earth before the second coming of Christ and the new heavens and the new earth being created. So we're stuck in this middle period of in between the way things are supposed to be. It was supposed to be a certain way before the fall. It's supposed to be a certain way after the coming, the second coming of Christ, and we're stuck in the middle. And he's saying, I want you to understand my plan from the beginning of time to the end of time is not what you're experiencing right now. What you're experiencing right now is a preparation for this life in the eternal. It's a preparation. He's getting us ready. Now I'm gonna go through some things I think are important for us to know because these are some of the biggest misconceptions in the body of Christ about heaven. And not just in the body of Christ, but uh, folks that don't yet believe. And one of the reasons they don't because they don't see anything interesting about heaven. From now until the second coming of Christ, there's something called the intermediate heaven. This is the place that anyone that has died, my friend that, is, that died at 35, he's in a place that we would call the intermediate heaven. It is before the new heavens and the new earth have been set up, which we know in Revelation chapter 20, 21, and 22, he's describing for us what the new heavens and new earth are going to be like. We are not going to some spiritual realm and floating on clouds. I know that's disappointing, but that's the reality. We are going to have a physical place that we're going to reside. The scriptures are very, very clear. Jesus says, you've got a home that I'm preparing for you, a physical home. We're going to eat together. He has a resurrected body. When he came back from the dead, he had a resurrected body that was physical, but it was also extra special. In the sense, he could do things that he couldn't do before he rose from the dead, before he was resurrected. So we're going to have physical bodies that are perfect and can do things that we can't do today, which I'm extremely excited about. And I dream about all the time. I've got my head on top of Greg Gertie's body, and that's, that's, that's what I'm going to look like in the new heaven and the new earth. He's going to kill me for that, I know it. But, <laughs> but it's true. That's the closest thing I can think to of perfection. So I'm going to have a job in heaven. I'm going to have responsibility. He is going to give me something to do. You are going to have something to do in heaven. We're not sitting there on harp, playing harps all day. There's a physical reality. There's mountains. There's going to be lakes. There's going to be rivers. There's going to be things that are, but they're going to be perfect. They're not going to be polluted. We're going to be able to go and swim with the animals. We're going to be able to run with the tigers. 
My kids are going to be able to play with wolves that they would love to play with today, but they know they can't because they get eaten. I'm going to be able to freely go into the ocean without worrying about the shark eating me because I'm scared about that the whole time I'm out there. I'm praying, oh gosh, I'd love to do this, but I'm scared. I'll be able to have the dolphins carry me out to the reef, and Jesus and I are going to jump up on boards and cruise on in. I mean, that's something I can get excited about. And he says, Chris, brothers and sisters, he says, whoever told you there's not a physical reality, that is Satan that's told you that is not true. My scriptures are clear. I've told you in the book of Revelation what is coming. It is a new heavens and new earth. It is perfect. There is no more pain. There is no more tears. There is no more death. There is no more sin. All the things that we fight about and that we get disgusted by during the course of the day, he says, I am eliminating all of those things. And you should be desperately looking forward to that. Because the world's trying to tease you to say you can get that stuff here on earth. Every time you and I get upset, as I've said before, is an unmet expectation. That unmet expectation is a result of me wanting heaven on earth now. And he's saying, sorry, you're not getting it. If we were completely satisfied here with the world, we wouldn't be looking towards our heavenly hope. It'll never happen. And he's doing that for our protection. The new Jerusalem will be coming down out of heaven to earth. John is describing this in Revelation. It is, and, and he can't even describe, he's trying to give us what the roads were like and that the tree of life is there and things, there's gold and silver and onyx and all these things that he's trying to describe the magnificence of it. And he gives the dimensions of it. It's a massive city, 1,500 by 1,500 miles. That's massive. It is a physical place. So why does this life matter? Why does this life matter? I, we had a Friday night meeting with, a, we have a home group, and one of the questions is, why go through this whole process of life if we're just gonna go to heaven in the, in the end anyways? This life is the only opportunity for us to walk by faith. This life is the only opportunity we have to walk by faith. This life is a training ground for eternity. So every resource that he's entrusted to me, whether it be my mind, whether it be my body, whether it be my resources, my talents, my treasures, are simply my opportunity to steward for his glory and for my, it'll impact the quality of my eternity. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 10 through 15. It's so clear. Guys, we will be judged for how we steward this life. This is why this life matters. It matters in the sense that I have to receive his gift here on this earth. There's no do-over at the end. I got one life to accept the gift. I've got one life to steward the gift for his glory and for his purposes. Not out of my own strength, out of the grace that's been poured out in me and through me. And as I abide in the vine, I have the opportunity to give my life away to others. He says, guys, this is your only chance to lay your treasure in heaven. This is the only chance you have to serve unservable people. This is the only chance you have to love the unlovable. This is the only chance you've got. It's an awesome, awesome opportunity. So he says, when you go out in this morning, in this afternoon, in this evening, this is your one chance to lay treasure in heaven because you have no promise for tomorrow. I have not given you a promise for tomorrow. You've got one day, one hour, one minute left. Lay it up in heaven, not here on earth where moth and rust destroy. So all my money, all my resources that I strive to hold on to for my own comfort and security, he's saying, let it go. May not mean I just give it all to a place today. He means it doesn't have a hold on your heart anymore. You're free to give it away. You're free to invest it however way the Lord leads you by his grace. 
We are aliens and ambassadors in this land, and he wants us to know that. But he also says, heaven is now both here today because the Spirit of God dwells in me, and this, everything we see has some touch of heaven in it because we had the garden, we're living in this kind of broken space, and then he's going to restore it. Romans 8 says all the earth is going to be restored. The new heavens and new earth are going to come together. Everything will be made right as it should be. So we see glimpses of it in the beauty of the flowers. We see glimpses of it in the beauty of the blue ocean. We see glimpses of it when we see the blueness of the sky and the fluffiness of the clouds. He's given us a taste. And he's saying, you know what? Heaven is both here now, but it's also yet to come. It's present because the Holy Spirit dwells within each one of us. And then when we're gathered together, he has the opportunity to pour himself out on us so that we can be a blessing and a witness to those around us. If that doesn't captivate us, brothers and sisters, then we don't understand what this is about. If that doesn't juice me every morning when I wake up to send me out to love people that are unlovable, nothing will. No amount of willpower and tricks, psychological tricks, will get me to love somebody. Only the poured out grace of God working through me. His, his gift, I cannot boast about it. It's not me. It's him working through me. John says that will then be ultimate joy. Or Jesus said, John records what Jesus says. In John chapter 15, he says, as you abide in me and I abide in you. And he says, if you obey my commands and you're abiding in me, your joy will be made complete. So I can experience complete joy here in this life. I can experience heaven here as I look forward to my ultimate home, my ultimate destiny, the new heavens and the new earth. I mean, that is just unbelievable. He has given us so much. When I hear people say, God really hasn't told us that much about heaven, he has told us a heck of a lot about heaven. He has told us so much about the new heavens and the new earth, and he wants us to meditate on it. He wants us to love it. He wants us to desire it. He wants us to be captured by it. That the anticipation we have for the greatest trip we've ever gone on pales. It's like this much compared to the incredible trip, the adventure we're going to go on between now and the time that we see him. There's no formula for how to live this life. No one can give us the black and white formula. If I'm a redeemed, if I've accepted the redemption from Jesus Christ through the blood that he shed for me, if I acknowledge that to be true, if I understand that when I was crucified with Christ, I no longer live the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. I've been raised up with Christ. I have new life within me. So I can live this way. I don't have to love the world. He says, you're free from the world. It died when you go down in baptism. The baptism, and you rise up out of the water, it's saying the world is left behind. You're not a slave anymore. You're no longer a slave to unrighteousness. You're a slave to righteousness. You're a slave to the new heavens and the new earth, not a slave to this world. We've all tried this world. We all know it sucks. We all know it has no value to us. We all know it leads to nothing but despair and disappointment. So why do we keep pursuing it? Let's pursue together. Let's pursue what he's put in front of us, which is the new heavens and new earth, an eternal hope, an eternal glory with him. If, you, if you're here this morning and you've never received the grace of God, if you've never understood clearly the revelation that he's now giving today, that he has poured out his own son on our behalf. He has shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. He's, he's given the access to the Holy Spirit to bring newness and life to each one of us. If you've never accepted that, I implore you, I beg you, don't waste one more day. Take it. If you're here and you've already had that gift and you know you've been walking with God, but yet you've had this total misconception of what heaven is and what an eternal hope should be, 
I would ask that any revelation you had today that you would take that and you allow God to transform you and that the Spirit of God will take hold of you and that you'll be able to live this life from this point forward in light of eternity. If three people live that way, you can transform an amazing amount of things. If you had 300, 400 people living that way, the world becomes changed like it was 2,000 years ago. That's not changed in the way that we can see it and measure it. So let's get over the fact we'll ever be able to confirm what our impact was. The only time we'll be able to confirm our impact is at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ when he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Take hold of these responsibilities that I've been waiting to give you because I love you so much and you steward something because of the grace you accepted from me and poured out, I poured out through you. Look what I've put for you. And I'm gonna be like, we're gonna be like, no, no way. He's gonna say, tough, this is your responsibility in heaven. And we're going to be able to hang out with him for eternity and just marveling at it. Imagine you sitting on the beach with Jesus Christ at a banquet. And you've been out surfing with him all day. And you think it's just you and him. You're out there surfing pipeline in Hawaii, having a blast. And you come to the shore. And there's this unbelievable feast set up. And all of a sudden, when you look up, you realize there's thousands of people all around you. Literally thousands. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is a feast. Where did all these people come from? You see, when we're in the new heavens and the new earth, God does not have to be bound by the laws of physics that we know. He can be hanging out with each one of us probably at the same time. So we can be feeling this sense of oneness with him and, and, and hanging out with him. At the same time, he's doing the same thing for James and Rick. I mean, it's amazing. Let your imagination run wild with what he's described for us. You don't need to recreate something. He's already given us a beautiful picture in the book of Revelation. I'll end with that. One thing I would suggest, if you have any interest in pursuing this topic more deeply, uh, there's a great book by Randy Alcorn uh, called Heaven. Uh, It's one of the only books out there in the last hundred years that's been written on heaven. And it is an extremely in-depth view of, from a scriptural perspective, all these things that we've mentioned today, I've just touched on one hundredth of one percent of what there is and the beauty of what God has given us in his word. Father, we thank you that you've been so gracious to show us a picture of the new heavens and the new earth. We're so grateful that you have revealed through your son Jesus Christ the exact representation of yourself, that you shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, and that you rose him from death to give us new life in Christ. That all we have to do is receive that gift, and we cannot boast about it because it's a gift from God so that no man or woman could boast. We are grateful for that, and we are unbelievably blown away by the fact we can then abide by your spirit moment by moment and live for the eternal, not the temporal. Father, we pray against the world and all its attempts to allure us back to the foolishness of seeking significance and security and satisfaction from anything this world could offer because we know it's absolutely futile and hopeless. And we thank you for giving us the eternal hope of your blessed return in Jesus Christ. The eternal hope of heaven. That the new heavens and the new earth will be able to be one with you, be able to hang out with you, to be able to talk to you, to ask you all the mysteries of all the questions that we've had. We'll be able to see one another and hear about our lives, exploring the universes together, exploring the earth together, running with the animals, running with the, uh, our friends, to be able to be with people that we never thought we'd see again. We thank you and are so grateful. Uh, for your word and for this body of believers here in Beijing. In Jesus' name, amen.